What's up, everybody? Um, so tonight we'll be in 1 John 5, verses 1 through 12 specifically. Um, so it's just been a blast for me to journey through this book with you guys and excited for tonight to unpack a little bit more of it. Um, so tonight, the big idea is that you may know God's testimony and specifically his testimony concerning his son, Jesus Christ. And so we will be talking about how God's testimony concerning his son is greater and how it is enough for us to put our faith, hope, and trust in Christ as the Son of God. And so with that, let's pray and we'll get into verses 1 through 12. Um, Father in heaven, I just come before you today. Thank you for just allowing us all to gather in your name. Um, We just pray that your word would humble us tonight. Just pray that you would teach us through it and um, just that we would believe in the testimony that you have given us concerning your son, Jesus Christ. And we just ask that you would um, allow us to understand it um, and just glorify your name because of it, God. So teach us now. Uh, We love you, Lord. Amen. All right. So 1 John 5, starting in verse 1. So the text reads, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So while I won't spend a ton of time on the first five verses tonight, um, it is important to recap and kind of remember where where we've been and where we've come from. And so in the first three verses tonight, we kind of see um, a recap of the theme of this book, and that is, what is the definition of true faith in Christ? And more practically, how does one know that he or she is saved in the first place? And so through reading this book, we have seen that there is truly only one criteria for regeneration or salvation and that is believing in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And we again um, see this in the first half of verse 1. Again, the text reads, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 
However, we can see here that there are a couple tests or proofs of true faith in Christ, and these are namely loving other Christians and obeying the commandments of God. And so we could call these testimonies or witnesses to a Christian's true faith in Christ. This is how we know who are the true Christians among us. And so that's kind of a recap of verses 1 through 3. In verses 4 through 5, we see the word overcome mentioned three different times. And so we, we overcome the world and sin through our faith in the testimony of Christ as Jesus, as the Son of God. And so with that, again, we're not going to spend a ton of time in the first five verses, but we'll move into verses 6 through 8 and talk about the testimony concerning Christ. And so I'll read that, those verses, those three verses, one more time. It says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Now, the word testify in Greek um, is matereo, which means to bear witness. And so, right now, I want everyone to go to a place in your minds where you envision yourself in a courtroom setting. So you are on the jury in a court case. There's like a 12-person jury, and you're, you're listening to three different witnesses come forward and bear witness or testimony concerning an individual who is on trial. And so you, as a jury member, are forced to listen intently and discern um, whether the testimony that each of these three witnesses coming forward and, and bearing is true or not. And so um, keep that in mind as, as we talk through the three witnesses to Christ. Um, so Deuteronomy 19.15 reads, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime, or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed, only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. And so God gives us in our text tonight not one, not two, but three witnesses, just as Deuteronomy says, to the trueness of his son Jesus Christ. And these include the water, the blood, and the spirit. Now what the heck do these three mean? <laughs> We will, we will unpack that as we go through it. So the water in this passage refers to the baptism of Christ by John the Baptist at the start of his ministry. So um, this, is, this will be the one time we'll turn to a text together. And so if you would turn to John's Gospel, not 1 John, um, but John's Gospel in, in, in chapter 1, starting in verse 29. And so this is John the Baptist as he sees Jesus coming down to the Jordan River. So the text reads, The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, 
I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then let's key in on verse, verse 34, and it says, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And so you guys might recall in Matthew's account of the same narrative, in addition, God from heaven speaks himself in an audible voice and bears testimony concerning Christ and says in Matthew 3, 17, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so we kind of have three different testimonies being um, brought forth at this one event. Um, so God himself bears his own testimony concerning Christ at his baptism through both his spirit descending on Christ like a dove and his own audible voice. Um, and John the Baptist also testifies, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And so again, those three testimonies, it's very important. Um, now, we may think, why, why did Jesus choose baptism as uh, the initiation of his ministry? It seems like kind of an odd thing to do, being that he is the Son of God. Like, why, why would he do that? Um, so John the Baptist's baptism was uh, a baptism of repentance of sin and cleansing from the iniquity through the symbolism of water. So water was often seen as having a certain cleansing effect on an individual. And so thus Jesus, as he entered the water of John's baptism, was identifying with sinners, um, the very sinners he had come to save. And so the purpose of this humble act of Jesus was to get on the level of humans and show how he had not only come to ultimately suffer the penalty of their sins, but also to intimately identify with the very ones he had come to save. And so he accomplishes this through his baptism, which is the first testimony, the first witness that we see here in our text tonight. And so the second witness is the blood. And so this signifies the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross to pay the penalty of human sin. Now, why is this so significant, and why did Christ have to pour out his blood as the ultimate sacrificial lamb? So we see a common theme of this sacrificial blood throughout the entire Bible, and specifically in the Old Testament. And so in the Old Testament, the blood of animals was spilled through sacrifices to make payment or atone for the wrongdoing of human sinners. And so Leviticus 17.11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. And so this, along with a majority of Leviticus, forms the basis for the sacrificial system that we see consistently laid out in the Old Testament. Blood has to be spilled to please God in heaven and to satisfy his wrath, which is poured out on sin. God is a loving God, yes, but he is, it is also in his character to act justly concerning sin. We are forsaking God when we sin, and so thus he, the, uh, the penalty for our sin must be paid. He demands payment for our wrongdoings. So what does this blood exactly accomplish, though? What is 
Christ's blood specifically accomplish. And so in Exodus 12, um, some of you may recall the story of the first Passover. The Israelites are instructed to kill sacrificial lambs and spread the animal's blood over their doorpost to avoid judgment. And so in Exodus 12:23 it reads, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. And so God's judgment would ultimately pass over each doorpost that had blood painted over it. And so the Israelites, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, were thus spared from the penalty of sin. And so thus, in the same way, Jesus, through his blood shed on the wooden doorpost of the cross, is the ultimate Passover lamb that entire Old Testament points to. And it is his one-time death put to rest the sacrificial system, and he atones for all sins, past, present, and future. And so for Christians, just as for the Israelites in Exodus 12, instead of looking at our sins and passing final judgment on us, God chooses to look on his only begotten son, Christ Jesus, and his final payment for our sins on the cross as the blood that gives us life and satisfies his wrath. And it is for this reason that we can remember in John 1 that John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist realized that that was Christ's mission when he came. And so this is the gospel that we, we put our hope in. The, the blood of Jesus, the Son of God himself, atones for the sins of all of those who would put their faith, hope, and trust in Christ as their Savior. And so that, that is good news and worth celebrating. And so while we have the water and the blood, the two external witnesses, if you will, um, to Christ, uh, which bracket the start, his baptism, and the end, his death of his public ministry on earth, we also have the Holy Spirit, which is the internal witness um, to the trueness of Christ. Now we know from Acts 2 at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit is poured out on the believers as Jesus himself had previously promised. So our text in 1 John um, reads, And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So how does the Spirit um, bear true testimony about the Messiah? So in John 15:26, as Jesus is eating the Last Supper, with his disciples. Jesus refers to the Spirit as the person of the Trinity that comes after he ascends to heaven. And so John 15, 26 reads, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And again, in Acts 5, the apostles had just been miraculously let out of prison and they were coming before the council of the high priest and, and bearing testimony concerning Christ. And so in verse 29 and following it reads, But Peter and the apostles answered, this is them before the high priest, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, 
whom God has given to those who obey him. And so the spirit of truth then is given to believers, all of us who are believers, to bear true testimony about Christ and his work and point them to their need to repent of their sin and turn to him for salvation. In addition, the Holy Spirit is also the seal of our salvation who guarantees and affirms our place as children of God. So when the Holy Spirit enters into an individual when they are saved, there's a certain confidence that is brought about based on his witness about Christ that seals the deal and generates faith, hope, and trust in, in the person of Christ. And so Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 reads, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so each one of you may remember a time when you first believed and put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, that there was just something inside your soul that told you that the things that you had read about in Scripture, heard about in church, that those things were truly true and worth um, putting, laying your whole life aside to follow those things. And so this is the work of the internal witness and the third witness that we see mentioned here in the text today. So the spirit of truth is God's mark on the believer that testifies to the truth of the gospel and the coming inheritance that we have in heaven. So I'm actually going to turn back to 1 John. I kind of lost my place here. Um, And we'll kind of conclude with the final four verses of our text tonight. So read verses 9 through 12 one more time. It says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so we see right away in verses nine, verse 9 that this is God's testimony concerning his Son, Jesus. This is not just any other testimony that is being brought forth. This is God himself's testimony concerning Jesus. And so if you and I are to believe the witness of men coming forth in our courtroom setting that we have ourselves in tonight, how much more should we believe the actual testimony of God in heaven himself, which is what we have in front of us tonight in 1 John? And so in 1 John 5, God has graciously shown us three witnesses that he uses to bear testimony concerning his son. So we have the two external witnesses, the water and the blood, along with the internal witness of the Holy Spirit of truth that is the very testimony of God. And so as a result of this, we can meditate on the Lord's faithfulness to us, His kindness to us, and that we don't have to simply blindly believe and follow these things blindly. We, we have them right in front of our very eyes in Scripture. We also have the Spirit of truth, the internal witnesses that confirms these things as, as true. And so we can put our faith in that. 
And so how dangerous it would be to reject these testimonies as falsehood, which is kind of what verse 10 gets into. It says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And so rejecting God's witness is the ultimate form of blasphemy against God. We're, we're calling him a liar if we do so. And so how dangerous that would be. However, the text does not stop there. John actually ends our passage tonight on a kind of a positive note with encouragement. And so verses 11 through 12, one more time says, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so we see here that believing in the testimony concerning Christ leads to eternal life. We can take encouragement from this passage because if we receive the testimony of Christ and believe it, God has promised to grant us the eternal life that is talked about in this passage. Life can only be found in Christ, guys. That is the only way. So how foolish we would be to, to search for this life anywhere else. And so we'll finish tonight um, with one more scripture reference, this one in John 5, 36 through 40. You don't, no need to turn there, I'll, I can read it. Uh, it says, But the testimony that I have, this is Jesus speaking, is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so once again, kind of in conclusion here, God himself bears testimony for us about Christ through his written word that we all have right in front of our eyes tonight. And specifically with, with the examples of the water and the blood that we see contained in it. In addition, if you are truly a Christian, you also have the third witness, which is the internal witness of the Holy Spirit of truth. And so thus, as we head into discussion groups tonight, I want everybody to go back to that courtroom scene. We have had three different witnesses, three different testimonies that have been brought forth and, and talked about. And you, as the jury member, get to decide. Will you believe these things and acknowledge the truth about Christ? Or, on the other hand, will you deny them and, and, and call God a liar um, for the very testimony that he has brought forward concerning Jesus? And so... With that, let's pray, and then we'll um, get into discussion groups. God, thank you for tonight again. Thank you for your word. Thank you that is authoritative. Um, thank you that we can trust it. And God, tonight I pray that we would trust it, that we would trust the testimonies that you have brought forth, not only just in First John, but also that the testimonies that have been brought forth contained in all of the Bible, Lord. We just pray that um, we would not reject you as a liar, but we would place our faith, hope, and trust in you. 
um, and turn to you in repentance. We thank you for tonight. Just pray that discussion groups would glorify your name. Uh, we love you, God. Amen.